I want to turn you this morning to a familiar passage of Scripture, but a portion of that passage which is not really known as well as it should be. In Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read through verse 11, but our text will be particularly centering upon verse 2. Romans chapter 5, reading the first 11 verses. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, as we stated when uh, we began this morning, the service, faith and hope come together. The one does not come without the other. And faith, genuine, saving faith, which is God's gift, not something that can be worked up by the human will. It comes by the will of God. When God wills and works in us, then we will, indeed, will and come to know the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But faith becomes the source of a living hope. And that's what Peter called it in 1 Peter chapter 1. A hope that's alive, lives, reality. Not a dead hope, not a dormant hope, but a living hope that's alive in the hearts of those who are in Christ. And hope cannot rise any higher than faith, the faith that's being spoken of here. And when in verse 1 the Apostle Paul speaks of faith being justified by faith, that is inclusive of bringing in the object of faith. And uh, that has been called by some an elliptical thing that this is the type of language that takes the word, but it's inclusive. It's inclusive, of course, of its object. It is faith in the Son of God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a reliance upon him crucified alone for our salvation, who was raised again from the dead. It is faith in God's grace and not in anything that we do. And so it is inclusive, this word, in that meaning here. It's not faith as something abstractly considered that secures our peace with God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and his redeeming blood alone. Peace with God consistent in Scripture with reconciliation to God. He made peace for us by the blood of his cross. No other way. We didn't make peace with God. He made it for us. 
He's the one who brings us into a wondrous realization that we are at peace with the living God, uh, of whom we were at war before as his enemies, even as we read, of course, in this passage. And so this faith that brings us into union with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it secures in our consciousness the gloriousness of a peace with God that we did not have before because we were brought under the awful realization of the sin that separated us from him and caused us to be alienated and at enmity with him. And uh, faith, of course, is the means God uses to unite us to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. When God sovereignly chose his elect, those whom he would set his love upon forever before the world began, when that sovereign work was done by God and in his decree alone and brought about by the Lord Jesus Christ, it was an election unto this, unto this salvation. And yet we are justified through faith and by faith alone, in Christ alone. When that faith is real and when the Lord Jesus Christ is truly believed, and trusted the promise of eternal life laid hold of the promise that the end of our faith is to be forever with the Lord himself and that enthralls the soul that comes with joyful anticipation as we lay hold by faith of what God has promised us and that is called in Titus 2.13, that blessed hope. That blessed hope. We are looking for that blessed hope. Not simply a blessed hope, but that blessed hope. Our blessed hope is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together unto him. Our blessed hope is to be united forever in a wondrous union of love with the Son of the living God and of life forever. Embraced by him, embracing this hope and in joyful anticipation, we look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith, biblical faith, lays hold of what God has done for us in Christ. Hope lays hold of and anticipates the fulfillment of what God promises to us as a result of our salvation in Christ. Biblical hope, of course, as you know, differs from the word as often used in our language. Biblical hope is not, I wish something to be, or I simply hope it might be, or, or looking forward if it possibly could be. No, that's not the way it's used in Scripture. In Scripture, the word hope carries no uncertainty. Not I hope such and such happens, but I don't know if it will. Rather, biblical hope is the firm conviction that God will perform exactly what he promises that he will do. He stakes his honor on it. He stakes his very honor, the honor of God, on the keeping of his word. He hasn't failed in keeping it yet, nor shall he. Everything he has promised shall come to pass, exactly as he has promised. And we are to have the firm conviction that God will perform what he promises to do. Of course, this is not the only place and the only passage where faith and hope are connected together. In other passages, like in 1 Peter 1, God has raised him from the dead that your faith and hope might be in God, all centering in him. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, the apostle speaks of, both, of uh, holding, quote, the confidence and rejoice, uh, rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. The confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So even before the apostle, as he does in Romans, begins telling about the fruit of faith or the things that faith brings forth, genuine faith in Christ, he puts these two things together, 
faith and hope. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, present peace with him. And by whom, by the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. These things are put together in Scripture. To have access to our God and Father now. That's no little thing. To have this access open to us. Always. And to live out our appointed course in this world with the joyful anticipation of what God has promised that he will do. What he has in store for us who are saved by his wondrous grace. It's to live in a blessed state belonging to us who are the redeemed of Jesus Christ. It is to have access to a joy in our deepest sorrow. And that sounds strange, but you find that in the New Testament. You find that in the Apostle Paul. Then in the most difficult things we face, we have still a foundation of joy in the realization that God is going to keep what he says. No matter, no matter what we're facing, he's going to keep what he says. It was part of that in that second hymn that we sang this morning. And it's a wondrous thing to have the joy of the Lord. Paul could speak of that imprisoned. He could write to the suffering Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. It's something that to human reason doesn't seem reasonable. And only one who is in Christ can comprehend that. That we are traveling pilgrims going to our real homeland and we're not there yet. But we're assured to get there. And that's a wondrous thing. So, having the standing or state of justification declared righteous by God, not because of our righteousness, we didn't have any, but by the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by faith. Standing in this state, we have access to God. In this condition we're in, we have access to God. Now, our peace with God, of course, comes through Christ, Him only, and Him only crucified. And so does our access to God. Our access to God comes the same way we are justified, and now in a state of justification. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, and He only, who can bring us to God. Anyone who ever comes to know the living God comes because He has brought them to God. Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, 1 Peter 3.18. He doesn't simply bring us to a creed, He brings us to God. He doesn't simply bring us to a religious act. He brings us to God. Reconciliation to the living God of whom we were at enmity before. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And by Him, and by Him alone, He only brings us to God. No other way do we get to God. So it's by the very same faith, the same faith that looks only to Christ, the same faith that comes to trust in His finished redemption, to which we can add nothing. Never looking to your own works for salvation. It is the same faith in the same Christ that gives you and me, who are in him, access perpetually to God. So that as you believed God, trusting 
that by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has opened the way to himself, and that you have been, according to his word, accepted. You see, it's God who does the accepting. Accepted in the beloved, you are to lay hold of and fully believe that by Christ, by Jesus Christ alone, you have a perpetual access to God. It's no little thing that we lay hold of this by faith. When the apostle writes the divinely inspired words that through Christ, in verse 2, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, he expands the application of the meaning of God's grace to a blessed and firmly assured truth. The same grace, the same grace by which we are justified once for all through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the same grace that brings us into our standing or state or realm into which God's redeeming work in Christ brings us. Justification does not admit of degrees. We can't be less justified or more justified. Justification is eternal. When we are brought to Christ, we are the moment we come to have this saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are declared by God righteous, though we have nothing of our own. All by Christ's righteousness. That justification is eternal. That justification is free. That justification is never removed from those whom God brings by Christ to himself. Neither is access to him barred. This means that it is the blood and the righteousness of Christ alone, that we who are by grace saved from sin and reconciled to God, that by the same blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ alone, we stand perpetually in a state of grace. Of course, in Romans 3, verses 23 and 24, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Justified by the Lord Jesus Christ freely. We don't add to that. We don't bring anything of ourselves to that. As a matter of fact, when we come to know him, we've died with him to live with him. We who've been justified by the grace of God, we're now under the reign of grace. Grace reigns now in the believer. Grace reigns, grace rules through the righteousness of God that becomes ours through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not under the realm or reign of the law. We're under the realm or reign of grace. So that, as in chapter 5, verse 21 of Romans, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus we're not in the sense of the law's reign under it. We're under grace, where righteousness reigns, and righteousness reigns by Jesus Christ. And of course, that's inclusive of our justification and of God's work in us that gives us a heart to obey him and keep his word, but our ruling factor is the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does all this mean to us? Or how are we to make use of this knowledge of the truth that God gives us concerning our standing in his sight? 
We're to lay hold of this. Then how are we to make use of it? To begin with, it's no little thing to have access to God. That means we're not to take this as if we're performing some religious act. If we're going through some type of motion. We're to recognize that we have access to God. The God who is the reason for all things. The God who is over all things. The God who is absolutely sovereign. That we have access to Him. To the living God. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has become our Father through faith in Christ. You're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. As in Galatians 3 verse 26. We are to know and embrace the great truth. That God. God who is infinite in wisdom. God who is omnipotent. In power. God who is sovereign over all things at all times in all places is our Father. That we are His children. Can you imagine? I mean, He received us. Sometimes when you fight or I fight with past sins in remembrance, that can be a difficult thing to deal with, can it? for those who are saved by His grace. That can be a hard thing sometimes. I come to realize that the Lord Jesus gave a tremendous parable. You remember about the prodigal? He wasted his substance in riotous living. It's incredible what he went into. And yet when he was brought to himself... When we come to know ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, that's when we're brought to ourselves. He was brought to himself, and he recognized that his father had everything, that he had nothing. His father saw him afar off and was far more willing to receive him than he was to come. You who've been saved, that's a picture of your father. A picture of your father. That you are his child. He is your father. What a wondrous thing. We're to know and embrace by believing what he tells us. That he cares for us. More than any earthly father could ever care. He cares for us. Our Lord tells us. We know He cares to the smallest, minutest thing that we face or have. The hairs of your head are all numbered. Can you imagine such care? Do you number the hairs of the head of your child? No. Is it possible... For a woman to forget her, her sucking child, her baby, yeah, it's possible for him to kill him. But God says, I will not forsake thee. He declares to us, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The knowing that he has opened access to himself through Christ, by Christ alone, through his cross, causing you to stand in his grace, in a state of grace, then you may come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and lay everything before God, every care you have, every bit of it, casting how much of your care? Casting all of your care upon him. For he careth for you. If you can lay hold of that. I know it's difficult sometimes. I know because we have this battle with ourselves and battle with sin. I know personally I have to come and say I don't understand and comprehend 
how the living God could love a sinner like me. But he does. He's made it known. He's called by his gospel. I don't comprehend all of that. And it's wondrous. It's wondrous to lay hold of by faith. To know he careth for you. He tells us through the Apostle Paul to bring every worry, every fear, every struggle with sin to him in prayer. No reserve. No, no reserve. No holding back. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Everything to him in prayer. If we really believe this, we're going to be engaged in prayer. We're going to learn about prayer. We're going to make use of prayer. We're going to learn what it means to have open communion with God himself. You are to resist every temptation to look to yourself and your circumstances or to try to make yourself completely worthy to come in his presence. It won't happen. Every temptation to remember past sins that your God tells you he remembers no more. That sometimes is the most difficult thing for God's people. Resisting the temptation to look in some way to your own worthiness and believe what he tells you. Believe his word. His word is infallible. You know what that means when we use that talking about the infallibility of the word of God. It doesn't simply mean there is no error in God's word. It means it cannot be. It's impossible. It is God's word. He is speaking. And he is pleased when we believe him. And without faith, what? It is impossible. Learn of your Lord. Learn of him. And so learning of him, you're also learning of your father. Because he and the Father are just exactly alike. He, of course, is the Son of God. He possesses the divine nature from eternity. But he only can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Learn of Christ. Learn of him. Get in the word of God. Study him. Pray that he would make himself more and more known unto you. All at the same time, you're learning what God is like. You're learning what your father is like. Learn, then, that in coming to Christ, you come to the Father. That he who spared not his own son for you will not forbid you access to himself. Doesn't mean you won't be tried. Doesn't mean there won't be seasons that you'll feel, oh, so far away maybe. And yet he even knows that. Learn his word. His word can never fail because given by him who cannot lie. And believe what he says. Nothing so pleases him as to believe him and act upon his word in faith. We don't have to come pleading to him to give access to himself, but rather believe his word. 
Believe his word, which tells you we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. The sure hope. The certain hope is to govern our course in this world. No matter the conditions we're in, no matter the conditions the providence of God has put us in, sometimes that's not easy to take in, that what we are facing comes by God's providence, that he is over everything, that he has called us to trust him in the most difficult of circumstances, that he is working toward a glorious end, and we'll deal with that before we conclude this message. Our great, our glorious Savior saves us for eternity. He saves us for an eternal union with Himself. The end purpose being to be with Him and to be forever with Him. And this comes with the hope of the glory of God as in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The foundation of our faith is in his word. Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 verse 21 spoke of it as the scripture of truth. And when by God's grace we are called and we're given life in Christ and we come to believe indeed, we come to know that the word of God is absolutely true. What God says is true. It cannot fail and will not fail because we're brought to trust our faithful God who cannot lie. Nothing has ever failed of what he promises. Nothing. All comes to pass exactly as he promised. Just like Joshua found when he went into Canaan. And when those seven nations, mightier than they, were conquered, that looked impossible. Nothing failed of what God promised would come to pass. All came to pass exactly as he had promised, as Joshua knew full well. God's promise to us who are saved from sin and reconciled to him by the blood of Christ assures us of glorious things to come so that our hope rests upon the certainty of God's infallible purpose and promise. God who cannot lie promised before the world began. The glory of God in Romans. At least one important application of this is the full restoration of the image of God in us who believe. The full restoration of the image of God in us who believe which shall take place at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory and the consummation of the purpose of God. We're under a process now that will end in that glory. We all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, that's the gospel. We all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That full glory will come only when we're fully in the image of our Lord. That God-likeness was lost by sin. We came, of course, into this world sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We didn't live in God-likeness. We lived for self. We didn't live Godward. 
We were born in sin in this world. Our glorification, which is the full restoration of the glory of God in us, will come exactly as God has promised in his word. If you look over into the 8th chapter of Romans, and in verses 17 and 18, Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where? In us. Oh, those words are incredibly important. The glory revealed in us in that coming day. Uh, in verse 21 of Romans 8, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And, of course, in verse 30, for whom he did foreknow, or, or, or verse 30, we'll get verse 29 later, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. This is all God's doing. And when God purposes, it's good as done. Already, the glory of God, his full excellency, the shining forth of his glorious person is in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the full embodiment of God's glory in a way, of course, that uniquely belongs to him, to the Lord Jesus in him, as in Colossians 2.9, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, in him. And that's why the apostles could say, as in John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are saved by God's grace, when we come to behold him by faith and trust him, we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we in finality come to behold our Lord's full glory, you know what the scripture teaches us? When we behold the full glory of our Lord, we're going to be like him. Is that true? Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. He is the original who from everlasting to everlasting remains alone God of very God. And God has predestined us not to be gods but to be exactly like our Lord Jesus Christ in his glorious humanity forever. Whom he, God, did foreknow. Whom, not what. Whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Our glorification, our being brought into the full image of the glory of God is as certain as is our present justification. 
it shall be. How certain. How certain is this hope of glory. It's as certain as God is God. You can't get any more certain than that. It's as certain as God is God. You remember in Hebrews chapter 6? You remember when God would have us have the assurance of our faith in Christ and truth? He recognizes our weakness. Yes, he swears by himself. He couldn't swear by any greater. He gives us two immutable things, his word and his oath. Because of our need and our frailty and our weakness, God is God. That's why his word will never fail. It's the promise he's given us in his word. And he stakes his character and his honor on it. On the keeping of his word. His word is settled forever. His word is more sure than the ordinances of the heavens and the earth. And they're wondrous. You know, that everything is set in the heavens. That's why we have our clocks and times and all. We know all that's going to happen when it does. We know when the sun's going to come up and when it's going to go down. And we know when the moon's going to come and it's going to be full because God established these things in the heavens. They're firm. Oh, some 900 years B.C. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The ordinances of the heavens. But also speaking of the word we have. Forever. They become but types. But heaven and earth shall pass away, the Lord says. But my words shall not pass away. His word is true. We shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. Can't imagine. We see him now as through a glass darkly. We see him now as he's made known to us in the word of God. We're wise if we don't allow those images that produce in men's minds a picture of a Jesus, not the Christ of Scripture. The only one who is real is made known here by God's Spirit. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And into the image of his glory will be our glorification. Into the image of our Lord will be our glorification. What then? Does this certain hope of glory do for us now in the midst of the trying of our faith? When, as we sing sometimes, every joy or trial falleth from above. When trouble is as much appointed to us as is the glory that awaits. We have an appointment even to difficult things. Necessary to the development of our character. To the Thessalonians, we learn we have these two appointments. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, the suffering Thessalonians hear that they're appointed to it. No man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. But that's not the only appointment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. In the coming consummate judgment of God, men are going to come under the realization of his wrath, but not those who are in Christ, not those who are in him. They're not appointed to that. They're appointed to be gloriously his forever his children now he our father now and we shall be forever like our elder brother the Lord Jesus Christ forever this hope calms the soul in the midst of 
the turbulences, when the winds and the waves of adversity howl in our spirits. And we remember and lay hold of this hope founded upon the faithfulness of God to his own word of promise. And our fears cease. Just like the voice of the Son of God calling to those turbulent waves that threatened, it appeared to put the apostles into a watery grave. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. Thy God is on thy side. And if God be for us, what? If God be for us, who can be against us? He's not going to fail, ever. This hope purges us from the love of the world. It shuts our mouths from arguing with God as to why I must suffer so. And causes us to rest only in a love out of which our love is born. And to the one to whom our love is to be directed. Knowing it is only, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Nothing comes our way we do not need. No matter how it seems to us, doing away with our self-centrality, purging us from this world, causing us to realize our only reality forever is in our Lord. This hope, when it's in one, sweetens the trials, lightens the load. It infuses the soul with the determination to continue. It removes the cloudiness from our spiritual sight. And it causes that sight to be set where it should be always. On things above. Not on things on the earth. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal are you on this sea of life tossed about here and there with many a, a violent wave crashing against your vessel it seems Look to the one who on board your little boat means it cannot sink. And trust him. Believe him. Rest in him. Get your affection off this world and its things that you're going to leave pretty soon. And get them where they belong. Conscious of being at peace with God. And that consciousness of peace with God brings peace to the soul. Conscious of being at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ alone. Making use of the Father's openness and open door to us perpetually as his children. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. What more could we want? What more could we want? When we sing these words as we do at times, let them be sung believing. Let them be sung with truth in our souls, with longing. And renewed hearts and minds. Thou, O Christ, 
art all I want. More than all in thee I find. Because if you have him, you have everything. If you have not him, you have nothing and will lose it all. If you have him, you have everything and are the far greater gainer and are heading toward glorification with him. Quite a passage we look into. May God apply his truth to our hearts. May we live and walk by faith and glorify his name. If you like, we'll sing that hymn. What number is it? Uh, Thou Christ art all I want. 427, correct? Let me to thy bosom fly. 